Welcome to the Lord's Gem, UFC, Ultimate Faithful Catholics. My name is Jess Romero. My partner, Terry Barber, is doing some apostolic work. This is High Energy Blue Catholic Radio, where we teach you to love God, save souls, and slay error. I'm reporting for duty. A whole lot to talk about today. This, the month of January is dedicated to the holy name of Jesus. Find any excuse to say the name of Jesus with faith, hope, and love throughout the day. And just project that beautiful name, that most perfect prayer into the cosmos. Also, uh, you can support the show by, by sharing the full link at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio and our YouTube channel called Full Sheen Ahead. Share us with your friends and evangelize everybody you love. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, George Soros, one of the most evil men on planet Earth. Uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, an, incredible, uh, an incredible thing happening in the Diocese of Chicago. They're selling St. Adelbert's Catholic Church in Chicago uh, to a person who's probably going to be doing uh, sexually promiscuous sh- shows in that former church. Well, it's still not sold yet. You got the, the people from the Diocese of Chicago that are fighting, that are petitioning for it not to be sold. Also, I'm going to talk to you about some incredible religious orders back in the Middle Ages. How brave these men were back in the Middle Ages uh, to confront Muslims. And I'm just going to give you a teaser. What these two orders did back in the Middle Ages is uh, is nothing less than heroic virtue. I think every single one of them should be up for canonization. Every single man from these from this order. But some of the other things that are on the news as well. Before I get to today's gospel, some of the other news items. Florida court defends abortion ban. Florida State Supreme Court on Monday denied Planned Parenthood's emergency motion to block the state's 15-week abortion ban which was signed into law by Republican Governor DeSantis. As Governor DeSantis said, we are better than we are better when everybody counts, the governor's press secretary said in a Tuesday statement praising the court's decision. Good on him. Also, expose Pfizer moles mutating COVID in lab. A new undercover video expose from Project Veritas allegedly captures a high-ranking Pfizer official saying that the company has considered deliberately mutating COVID-19 in a lab in order to create effective vaccines in advance, declaring that COVID will be a cash cow for years and claiming federal regulators go easy on Pfizer in hopes of getting jobs later. Also, the court rules against Christian Baker, a Colorado Court of Appeals judge ruled against Christian Baker Jeff Phillips on Thursday after he appealed an earlier court decision requiring him to bake a cake celebrating someone's gender transition. Phillips won a previous case at the Supreme Court in 2018 after he declined to make a wedding cake for a homosexual couple but was sued again in March 2021, 2021 after a transgender activist demanded Phillips make a transition-themed cake. Finally, Republicans confront the Department of Justice. That's a good thing. Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma, joined by 20 other senators and 19 members of the House, issued a letter warning the Department of Justice that its aggressive pro-abortion agenda is in violation of U.S. U.S. Code of Law 
the reckless distribution of abortion drugs by mail or other carriers to pregnant mothers who have not been examined in person by a physician is not only dangerous and unsafe, it is criminal, the letter stated. Okay, let's move on to some soul food here. To me, that's the, the favorite part of the show is when we can reflect on, on God's word. Speak to us, Lord, your servants are listening. In today's, I may even do the first reading if I have some time from the book of Hebrews, but today's uh, Holy Gospel, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 34. God's word tells us. Jesus said to the crowds, this is how it is with the kingdom of God. It is as if a man were to scatter seed on the land and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He knows not how. Of its own accord, the land yields fruit, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, he wields a sickle at once for the harvest has come. He said, to what shall we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use for it? It is like a mustard seed that when it is sown... When it is sown in the ground, it is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. But once it is sown, it springs up and becomes the largest of plants and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. Without parables, he did not, with, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to understand it. Without parables, he did not speak to them, but to his own disciples, he explained everything in private. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share with you some things that jumped, jumped out at me in today's holy gospel. Some of, the, some of the words or some of the phrases. From verse uh, 26 to 29, we, Jesus lives not in the big city. He lives in an agricultural environment. And so... An agriculture parable is found only in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus compares the mystery of organic growth to the expansion of the kingdom of God, which is the church in utero. The kingdom will visibly mature like grain, but the spiritual forces behind it will remain invisible. The parable of the leaven in Matthew 13, verse 33, it, it explains this same mystery. What's the moral lesson from what Jesus says today? St. Gregory the Great in a homily, he gives a moral explanation. He says, The maturing grain signifies our increase in virtue. First the seeds of good intentions are sown. These gradually bring forth the blade of repentance and ultimately the mature ear of charitable, of charitable works. When established in virtue, we are made ripe for God's harvest. Also, verse 29 jumps out at me, where our Lord talks about the harvest. What is that a reference to? It's a reference to the day of God's manifestation and judgment at the end of time, judgment day. Also, verses 30 to 32 jump out at me, where our Lord talks about the parable of the mustard seed. And uh, it's, it's based on the difference between the smallest seed and the greatest bush. And it depicts how Christ's kingdom, which is a church, begins with a small band of, of disciples and gradually grows into a worldwide church with over a billion members. The imagery Jesus uses to explain this is drawn from the Old Testament oracles 
that describe the dominion of ancient empires. You have Babylon described in the book of Daniel, Egypt described in the book of Ezekiel. You have Israel described in the book of Ezekiel. All of them were portrayed as kingdoms that grew into mighty trees. And this was what our Lord is using to describe the church. The church has now grown into this mighty tree. Let me also share with you today's uh, responsorial psalm. Psalm 37. What a beautiful prayer. The, The salvation of the just comes from the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good that you may dwell in the land and be fed in security. Take delight in the Lord and he will grant you your heart's request. Commit to your Lord, to the Lord your way. Trust in him and he will act. He will make justice done for you like the light. Bright as the noonday shall be your vindication. By the Lord are the steps of a man made firm and he proves his way. Though he fall, he does not lie prostrate for the hand of the Lord sustains him. The salvation of the justice from the Lord He is their refuge in time of distress and the Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Blessed are you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have revealed to the little ones the mysteries of the kingdom of God. My name is Jesse Romero. We're going to be talking about uh, George Soros, the most evil man in the world and the way he has his hands in a lot of media organizations Because again, he's trying to influence culture. And we're also going to be looking at uh, St. Adelbert's Catholic Church in Chicago being sold to potential potential, uh, homoerotic buyer that's going to put homoerotic shows in a once beautiful Catholic church. And then we're also going to talk about two religious orders back in the Middle Ages and the way they would ransom slaves from Muslims. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a story that you'll never forget. Trust me. Remember, all of us, we're soldiers of God and we're all warriors and we're all members of Team Jesus. We serve the people of God and we live the Christian virtues and values. We shall always place the mission first. We shall never quit on our Lord Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church. Surrender is not an option. We will never leave a fallen Catholic Conrad Why? Because we're disciplined. We're physically, mentally, morally, and spiritually tough as nails. And we all have to be trained and proficient in our spiritual warrior tasks and skills. Let's maintain our spiritual weapons and our equipment and ourselves. And let's become experts and professionals in the sure knowledge and practice of our Catholic faith. And let's stand ready to deploy, engage, and destroy the enemies of God and of the souls in close and immortal combat. We are called to be guardians, especially men, guardians of the glorious freedom of the children of God and the Christian way of life. We are soldiers of God. We are part of Team Jesus. As General Maximus said in the movie The The Gladiator, what we do in this life will echo in eternity. We'll be right back. Every time I get behind this microphone, I thank God for this opportunity. It's just like walking back into a boxing gym years, a boxing ring years ago, or a kickboxing 
I get all pumped up because I love talking to people about the Catholic gospel. Remember, the, we're, the cla- we're the class of 33 AD, and our class reunion is coming soon. So, Fox News called George Soros two words that left jaws on the ground. George Soros is one of the big money donors that powers the Democrat Party, but Soros has a secret plan. And Fox News, thanks be to God, called George Soros one name that left jaws on the ground. The New York Post published a massive expose revealing how George Soros funds radical left-wing candidates in district attorney races that often fly under the radar. In fact, the, the New York Post headline calls Soros the most dangerous man in America. Probably the most dangerous man in the world, him and Bill Gates. The most powerful unelected politicians, Bill Gates and, uh, and George Soros. Again, because both of them are billionaires and they use their money for very, very evil causes. The Post reported on the subject of Soros that he helped install 75 pro-criminal prosecutors in key offices around the United States. The Post reported on the subject of Soros funding soft-on-crime DAs that a gang of teenagers pummeled Fox News weatherman Adam Klotz on New York City subway just the other day. Thanks to New York City's weak laws, Adam Klotz must actually file a complaint against his attackers to see them face criminal charges. Most Americans have no idea that George Soros has poured millions of dollars into what used to be the low-key races for district attorney. Fox and Friends co-host Steve Ducey and Brian Kilmeade discussed the story telling the viewers that Soros spent $40 million to elect left-wing district attorneys who will refuse to prosecute crime and who support eliminating cash bail. Are you kidding me? They did a big takeout. They did a big takeout on how George Soros has spent $40 million of his money trying to elect lefty DAs all over the country, backing prosecutors who won't prosecute criminals. And so far, George Soros has got 75 prosecutors nationwide in office backed by his money. It's, it's talked a little bit about how it's hard to flip a legislature to ch- or change a law, but it's easy to just elect one person who refuses to enforce the law. That's a whole lot easier. The co-host then played a clip of the most popular podcast host in the world, Joe Rogan, blasting Soros as an evil person. Good on Joe. Rogan compared compared, uh, Soros to a Batman villain for wanting crime to flourish. And co-host Brian Kilmeade readily agreed with Rogan. Yes, absolutely, Kilmeade declared. The effect of Soros' political donations proved disastrous for every city to fall under the sway of his hand-picked district attorneys. Crime and homelessness have exploded while the quality of life declines. Fox Weatherman, Andy Klotz, learned that lesson the hard way. God gave us order, order through patriarchy. Civil patriarchy comes from God. It's meant to establish peace and order. Our constitution affords us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But under these Soros-appointed prosecutors, our life is in danger in these blue cities, our liberty is in jeopardy in these blue cities, and our happiness is being taken away by these anarchists that prowl the streets like lions, and they have no fear of the prosecutors because the prosecutors are leftist, woke, anti-law enforcement, Soros-funded DAs who are soft on crime. Also... 
there's another investigation pulling back the veil on George Soros and his indoctrination efforts. I'm looking at the picture of this Hungarian-born U.S. investor, philanthropist George Soros, as he addresses the assembly on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum in, Sw- in, in Davos, Switzerland. Hmm. Good friend of the show, Brent Bozell from a- MRC Business. He's a uh, part of the Conservative Media Research Center. MRC found that Soros uses his charities to build relationships with news outlets and activist media corporations. At least 54 high-profile media personalities are connected to groups the tycoon health finances. Media Research Center Business has claimed Hungarian-born U.S. investor and philanthropist George Soros as the most powerful non-politician as he addresses the assembly on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum in Davos. Billionaire George Soros has links to dozens of prominent media figures in the U.S. and beyond the organizations that he's funded. And in the last report of a three-part investigation published by Brent Bozell's Media Research Center, they've examined the ties of... of, uh, of the Budapest-born liberal mogul George Soros coming to the conclusion that he cemented himself as one of the most powerful influencers in global politics through his incredible influence in the media. Media Research Center said that it had uncovered at least 54 major figures in journalism and activist media who are connected to Soros-funded organization. The list includes... CNN's chief international anchor, Christine Amanpour, also NBC's news anchor, Lester Holt, and Cesar Condi, the the NBC Universal News Group chairman, who oversees outlets like NBC News, MSNBC, and CNBC. Think about it. Just common sense tells you whoever controls the media controls the people. We all know that. Adolf Hitler knew that. This is, also, this is a communist tactic also, by the way, controlling the media. Many of the 54 individuals play prominent roles in institutions funded by Soros. For instance, Amanpour is a senior advisor at the Committee to Protect Journalists, which received $2.75 million from George Soros between 2018 and 2020, while Lester Holt is listed as a board member in the same organization. Condi is a trustee at the Aspen Institute, which received over $1 million from the billionaire between 2016 and 2020. According to Media Research Center, in total, Soros has funneled over $32 billion into his organizations in a bid to spread his radical open society agenda on abortion, Marxist economics, anti-Americanism, defunding the police, environmental extremism, and LGBT fanaticism. Guess what? These efforts have paid off, allowing him to indoctrinate millions with his views on a day-to-day basis, according to the Media Research Center. I'll just be quite frank with you. As a Catholic, Soros is doing the work of the Antichrist. Soros is preparing the way for the Antichrist with all his evil global activities. I mean, just uh, I'm just uh, 
Captain Common Sense here. Media Research Center has previously claimed that Soros has financial ties to at least 253 media organizations globally, funding them through his nonprofit groups and enabling them to reach viewers and listeners in virtually every corner of the world. I have friends that work for Univision and Telemundo, the largest Spanish media outlets in, uh, in the world, if not the largest uh, news outlets, period, Univision and Telemundo. Both of my friends in high places in Telemundo and Univision, they tell me that they receive large donations from George Soros nonprofit groups, from, from George Soros uh, NGOs. Everybody knows it. He's trying to buy the Spanish market as well right now in Florida. Commenting on George Soros, Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova noted on Thursday that such revelations could be compared to a nuclear bombshell. Should it be proven that the leading U.S. media outlets receive money for adjusting their coverage, all U.S. democracy could be wrapped up in their constitution and thrown out into the garbage heap of history, she said. You know, years ago, the media was there to protect us, to protect the citizen. The media is part of the fourth estate. The, the fourth estate, by definition, is the press, the profession of journalism. The fourth estate describes the journalist's role in representing the interests of the people, the common folk, in relation to the business and political elites who claim to be doing things in our names. The media kind of keeps them in check. But the idea of the news media in recent times as the fourth estate into recent history has a very checkered past. Most of us don't trust the mainstream media any longer. Next to politics and academia, the most obvious center of the liberal elite is the mainstream media. This should not be surprising since most journalists have been honed from the journalism schools by the elite universities. Awareness of this liberal bias dates back to around 1980 with the celebrated media study by, by Robert Lichter and Stanley Rothman. This underlies the claim that the mainstream media is little more than the propaganda arm of the liberal government. And I'll tell you somebody who I obviously don't, dis, don't agree with much of anything, but he sure got this right. Malcolm X, he was one of the leaders of the Nation of Islam about uh, 60 years ago. Malcolm X, the black Muslim, who again, I would not agree with on most things, but on this one, he was spot on. He said this, quote, the media's the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent. And that's power because they control the minds of the masses. The press is so powerful in its image-making role, it can make the criminal look like he's the victim and make the victim look like he's the criminal. Just think about the O.J. Simpson trial. If you aren't careful, Malcolm X says, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. That's exactly what's happening right now. Well said, and may he rest in peace. God have mercy on his soul. George Soros is a clear and present danger to our national sovereignty. He's using his U.S. citizenship to shelter his illicit profits 
and operate his anti-American groups, and he continues to hold his U.S. citizenship in violation of federal law. How can a Hungarian citizen legally do this? He can't. George Soros is using his, his U.S. citizenship as a legal loophole that allows him to bankroll efforts to put our government in the hands of foreign enemies. He's poured out millions into efforts to give you know, Hillary Clinton, the Democrats, the White House, Biden. He's bankrolled the anti-police riots that killed dozens of people and burned down entire inner cities last a couple of years ago. He's also bankrolling anything that goes against common decency. And let me tell you, he's an old man. His exit interview is not going to be pretty. Terry and Jesse show. Up next, we're going to talk about what's happening in the Archdiocese of Chicago with the sale of a church. Stick around. We're back to Terry and Jesse's show. Too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed, and if hope was money, we'd be millionaires. The Catholic faith is not right versus left, it's right versus wrong. And this program seeks to bridge the gap between seminary and Sunday school. Hey, got a little good news report here before we go on to what's going on in Chicago. Facebook and Instagram are reinstating President Trump. Meta announced Wednesday it will end former President Trump's suspension from Facebook and Instagram saying the penalty imposed after January 6th was an extraordinary decision taken in extraordinary circumstances. Meta Facebook said the risk Trump allegedly posed to public safety had passed, but the big tech company also sternly pledged to enforce certain guardrails on Trump in the future. Okay. Dan Davison, whose venue, the Temple House, has hosted a homoerotic simulated orgy confirmed to LifeSite News that he's preparing to buy St. Adelbert's Catholic Church in Chicago and inspections have begun. Again, Dan Davidson has hosted simulated homoerotic orgies and he wants to buy a Catholic church that's for sale now. The owner of a luxury event venue that has regularly hosted lewd performances and names Dan Davidson including a simulated homoerotic orgy and obscene perverse music videos, is preparing to close on the purchase of the beloved historic St. Adelbert's Catholic Church in Chicago. How can uh, Cardinal Supich sell this to him? Dan Davidson, who specializes in digital image projection for entertainment venues, told LifeSite News on January 17th regarding St. Adelbert's, I can confirm that engineers have just recently been engaged to begin the inspection of the property, adding that it is one of many steps to determine if this is the right fit for us and the community. About a week before, Dan Davison confirmed to LifeSite News that he intended to purchase the church after it was made public that his, his new LLC had a letter of intent to acquire St. Adelbert's. It has recently been discovered that in addition to hosting essentially pornographic music video filming now standard for many celebrities since <laughs> since Madonna came on the scene Dan Davidson's Miami-based flagship venue the Temple House 
was the site of a filmed simulated homoerotic orgy. Perhaps the most outrageous event held at the Temple House, the 2020 Love Different Orgy performance, which featured pop star Madonna's, star, Madonna's daughter, Lourdes. It's ha it has been reported on by the UK's Daily Mail, as well as publicized by Dan Davidson. Lourdes, Madonna's daughter, and several other couples engaged in homoerotic kissing during the performance as they proceeded to undress each other until they were nearly naked. The women were very little and exposed their private parts. Yep, like daughter, like mother. Uh, the fruit didn't fall too far from the tree, unfortunately. The culmination of the performance is too indecent to describe or depict here. But in an interview with LifeSite News, Canon lawyer Laura Morrison decried Dan Davis's decision to host the orgy as disgusting. They were pandering to this through, through decadence in this culture, its degradation, thorough decadence. Catholic activist Richard Smaglick has pointed that since this sleaze palace once served as an Orthodox Jewish temple called Knesset Israel Synagogue, Dan Davidson is profiting from the marketing of its sacrilegious profanation. Smaglick and Chicago Catholics are concerned that Dan Davidson will likewise desecrate St. Adalbert's except in a considerably more egregious manner, considering it was once consecrated and home to the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, as, as Morrison told LifeSite News. Remarkably, Davidson shows his intended use of St. Adalbert's property, echoes the use of the Temple House, which hosts parties of all kinds, including weddings and galas, in addition to frequently indecent fashion shows and music videos. Smaglick, a layperson, has slammed the planned sale to Davidson by the Archdiocese of Chicago as indefensible. <laughs> I think we all agree. He says, Cardinal Supich, what do you think our Lord would think of you selling St. Adalbert's to a man who bought an Orthodox Jewish synagogue, named it the Temple House, and used it for all sorts of perversity, including a highly publicized simulated orgy. Noting that canon law prohibits the sordid use of former churches and allows their profane use, provided that the good of souls suffers no detriment thereby. This layman, Smaglick, compared Supich's sale of St. Adalbert's to Davidson's with sale to a drug cartel. Smaglick says to Kupich in this in uh, in this article, Archbishop or I mean Cardinal, would you sell St. Adalbert's to a drug cartel and get around your sordid use and damage to, and, and and damage to the good of souls obligations with a clause in the sales contract that says the property will not be used for the sale or distribution of illegal drugs? Smaglick pointed out that Davidson's egregiously sordid and sacrilegious use of the property in Chicago specifically selected for his holy character and his active marketing of his perverse misuse is no less destructive in a spiritual sense than a drug cartel's activities are in a physical sense. Told that Davidson shared with LifeSide News his plans to bring St. Adalbert's property back to life in a way that is consistent with its original assembly use, responsible and respectful of the neighborhood. Morrison pointed out that he doesn't consider the prior sacred character of the church, but rather emphasizes the community. 
There goes that word. Yeah, what's he going to build? By the way, in this article, you can contact our uh, Chicago's auxiliary bishop, Casey. You could also contact Cardinal Supich and contact auxiliary bishop Lombardo. It has their emails. It has their phone numbers. I rec- It'll just take a minute. I recommend you go to this article, go to the show page, vmpr.org or jesseramera.com. The contact information to all three bishops is right there. All three bishops from Chicago. Email them, be respectful, contact them, and let them know that we are not happy that this holy church is being sold to a very profane individual who has a, a history of uh, putting events, uh, putting sec- making sexual perversion front and center. Morrison shared with LifeSide News that the commentary on the Code of Canon Law, it states, quote, because of the prior sacred character of the church, it would not be fitting for a church to be used for purpose too far, purposes too far removed from the dignity of the sacred place, such as a restaurant, a cinema, or a market. On the other hand, it would not be improper to use it as a storehouse for religious objects, a museum of sacred art, or a meeting place for religious fraternity. Digital image projection, Davidson's specialty, would only amplify the profane nature of the use of St. Adelbert's. In addition, Morrison believes a loophole in Davidson's, in, in Davidson's uh, purchase of this property this, it stems from the fact that the lewd performers like Madonna's daughter Lourdes or Chris Brown, who were featured at the Temple House, have become the relatively socially normative elements in society. Indeed, the immodest dressing and dancing that is now typical at modern day celebrations already guarantees that St. Adelbert's will be put to indecent use if Davison closes the deal. And after being confronted with the disturbing activities that have taken place at Davison's prized business, Morrison says she believes the Archdiocese of Chicago will respond appropriately. I hope she's right. This is a canon lawyer. Morrison, the canon lawyer, says we will reach out in good faith and assume that they'll reach back in good faith and do their due diligence about this buyer. Morrison, the canon lawyer, says it's an abomination what has happened to that synagogue adding that while she is unsure whether Jewish law prohibits sordid activities in a form of synagogue, church law intends to preclude such desecration through due diligence because of the prior sacred character of the church. Brody Hale, president of the St. Stephen Proto-Martyr Project that works to preserve Catholic churches for sacred use, has explained to LifeSite News that in, the, in, that in the case of a church that is not damaged beyond repair, In order to plead a grave cause to relegate the church to profane use, one must show no money is available from any source to continue to maintain it. It is disputed whether this is the case for St. Adelbert's. It was reported in 2016 that Auxiliary Bishop Alberto Rojas wrote in a letter to Reverend Mike Enright in April that he had decided after consultation with then Archbishop Supich regarding St. Adelbert's that they decided there wouldn't be enough ongoing financial support around which to build that ministry, despite a huge donation amounting to at least over a million dollars from a former parishioner. So they lied. Hale, 
also pointed out that the guidelines issued in 2013 by the Holy See's congregation for the clergy instruct that when a Catholic church is sold, the first preferred outcome for the transfer of, transfer of ownership is that it will continue to be used for some level of Catholic worship. Only when that is shown to be impossible is it supposed to be the case that the church is, is passed to a secular party or a non-Catholic party. Based on the observations, not only of the closure and sale of St. Adelbert's, but of similar Catholic church closures across the country, Hale believes that the almighty dollar seems to trump all other principles right now. Canon law itself, because of this desire to cash in on churches, in my opinion, is getting to the point where it isn't, it isn't even worth the paper it's printed on, not to say that parishioners shouldn't avail themselves of it, Hale said. Smaglick, the lay Catholic out there in Chicago, highlighted the fact that the sale of St. Adelbert's to Davidson directly violates paragraph 2 of Canon 1222 because it presents dangers to souls and because of the lack of consent to the sale by those who legitimately claim rights for themselves in the church. Cardinal Stupich, Bishop Casey, Bishop Lombardo, do the right thing. Don't sell this church to a secular humanist who's going to profane it. Do the right thing. In Jesus' name, I pray. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Hey, you want good news? Keep it right here. You want fake news? Uh, go to the mainstream media. I want to talk to you about two daring religious orders. 1253 in Barcelona, Spain. During the time when, when the Crusades had started, Islam started attacking the Catholic countries, trying to take them over. Two men, Teobaldo and Fernando, were about to embark on a mission deep in the enemy territory. Their mission was the rescue of 129 hostages. Their destination, Tunis, the capital of a burgeoning new Muslim kingdom across the Mediterranean Sea. Much would detain them in executing of their mission. One of them was a victim of a rapacious locals of rapacious who tried to trap him in a marriage to a to a Muslim beauty. He endured a trial, burning and eventually death by stoning. His companion was lucky to escape with just a beating. Teobaldo and Fernando were not knights, crusaders, or something like a medieval version of today's covert operatives. In a way, they were all those things and much more. They were what's called Mercedarians, one of the brand new religious orders committed to carrying out the sixth corporal work of mercy, ransoming the captive, also known as visiting those in prison. By the late 11th and early 12th century, the Christian reconquest of Spain was nearly near, nearing its end. On the defensive, their kingdom shrinking, Christendom's Muslim enemies resorted to piracy and kidnapping of Christians. It became such a common problem that two religious orders were established for the purpose of raising money to ransom the, the, the Christian captives. They were called the Mercedarians and the Trinitarians. These friars personally went on ransoming missions, sometimes called redemptions. 
the Mercedarians even took a fourth vow to substitute themselves for the person held in captive if necessary. Now, it's not clear whether any Mercedarian ever had to make good on that vow. What is certain is that ransoming was no simple exchange of money. It often involved dangerous rescue missions far into enemy territory in which a Trinitarian or Mercedarian friar often risked becoming a captive himself. Teobaldo and Fernando were hardly the, the only ones who risked their lives on such missions. 68 Mercedarians alone perished or were killed on these missions between 1218, when the order was founded, and 1490, two years before the Spanish Reconquest ended. Just a few years before, two Mercedarians had paid ransom for 209 captives in Tunis. The money they brought for their mission was not enough to save all the captives. So one of the Mercedarians named Peter stayed back with, with those left behind to encourage them and strengthen them so that they would not deny Christ. He was so affected that he was arrested, beaten, and beheaded, his body tossed into a fire. <laughs> Talk about heroic virtue. The Trinitarians distinguished themselves as well. One of the founders of their order, St. John of Matha, faced piracy and shipwreck as he was returning from a redemptive mission in Tunis in 1210. Here's how Butler's Lives of the Saints describes it. He said, as, we, as he was returning with 120 slaves he had ransomed, the barbarians took away the helm from his vessel and tore all its sails that they might perish in the sea. The saint full of confidence in God begged him to be their pilot and hung up his companions close for sails and with the crucifix in his hands, kneeling on the deck, singing psalms, after a prosperous voyage, they all landed safe at Ostia in Italy. Both ransoming orders produced great saints like St. Saint John of Matha. And among the Trinitarians, there is there's St. Felix of Valois, who left a life as an isolated hermit at the age of 70 to help St. John of Matha establish this order. There's also the great Marian saint, Simon de Rojas, who popularized the phrase todos tus, totally yours, a century before St. Louis de Montfort incorporated it into his well-known Marian prayer. And then there's the mystic, St. Michael of the Saints, who was said to have experienced ecstasies before the Eucharist. The Mercedarians had their great saints as well. Their founder, St. Peter Nolasco, his work was inspired by a vision of Mary. The formal name is the Order of the Blessed Virgin Mary of Mercy. And later, according to tradition, he offered himself in exchange for some captives. There's also St. Raymond Nonatus, whose incessant preaching after being in prison on one of the missions earned him the, the unusual punishment of having his lips shut with an iron padlock a condition he endured for eight months before his eventual departure from prison. Besides the works of mercy they perform and the merits they win for the church, these two orders ought to inspire us to find new ways to perform the corporal and spiritual works of 
mercy. The end of the entry for St. John Mathen, Butler's Lives of the Saints, puts it best. It says, When we consider the zeal and joy with which the saints sacrifice themselves for their neighbors, how must we blush at and condemn con- and condemn our insensibility at the spiritual and the corporal calamities of others? Fine saints regarded affronts, labors, and pains as nothing for the service of others in Christ. We cannot bear the least word or roughness of temper. Specifically, the Mercedarians and Trinitarians call us back to think about how we can perform a work of mercy that somehow, that sometimes takes a back seat to the first five works of mercy, which involve ministry to the hungry, homeless, and ill. What new forms, corporal and spiritual, of captivity exist today? How can we minister to these captives? Can you imagine what type of courage and bravery these men had? What type of apostolic zeal and heroic virtue? To give yourself as a ransom, as payment to Muslims who have Catholics prisoners are beating them and torturing them. And you're seeing this and you say, I'm a Catholic friar, I'm a Catholic priest. I'd like to give my life as a ransom for some of these prisoners so they can be set free. That type of courage makes my boots shake. This is the Terry and Jesse show. This is the end of the week. By the way, these saints that I just mentioned from the Mercedarians and Trinitarians, they know exactly what Leon Bloy once said. That the only tragedy in life is not to become a saint. Listen to that. The only tragedy in life is not to become a saint. Don't be afraid, my brothers and sisters. This is called the Lord's Gym. We're your spiritual fitness trainers. The Lord's Gym should remind us that our faith is something dynamic. We have to work at it every day. Some of you hit your local gym almost every day. Or you work out at your at your home gym, like I do, to get in a workout. That's cool. But you should have at least the same intensity when it comes to your spiritual life. Because again, the only tragedy in life is not to become a saint. We're all called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Be saints you weren't made to fit in. We got to be like a lighthouse amid the gathering storm. Sunlight is the best disinfectant against lies. We got to pray America great again. And we got to keep putting the spotlight of truth upon this culture of death. And we got to keep firing missiles of truth against the wall of lies. Psalm 69 verse 2, one of my favorite Psalms. God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Remember, evil never rests. Let us fight together until the end of our life. Faith is what gets you started. Hope is what keeps you going. Love is what brings you to the end. Those who tell you the truth love you. Those who tell you what you want to hear love themselves. Remember, 
God made us for heaven, not for Harvard. Most men work for degrees after their names. We work for one before our names. We want to get that ST before our name. I'm not so concerned about the BA, BS, MA, MDiv, or PhD. The degree we need to get is a degree before our first name, ST. It's a much more difficult degree to attain. It takes a lifetime. And you don't get your diploma until you're dead. I don't care if you're 5 or 105. God gave all eternity. God from all eternity chose you to be where you're at right now at this time in history to change the world. We're called to holiness according to our state and life. So let us know our faith. You cannot live your faith if you do not know it. And you cannot share it. You cannot share it with others. What you, what you do not first make your own. You have to live your Catholic faith. Your Catholic faith is a public thing. It's not meant to be left behind when you leave your home. And we're called to spread our Catholic faith. Jesus Christ wants us to bring the whole world into captivity to the truth. And the truth is Jesus himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Remember. Remember the battle cry of those crusaders back in the Middle Ages. Christ conquers, Christ reigns, Christ commands. That's the royal praise, the battle cry throughout history. That's the acclamation where we assert that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pull no punches when we say that. And we say it from the bottom of our heart. Do not be discouraged by the enormity of the task that lies ahead. Mother Teresa of Calcutta recognized that her efforts and those of her fellow sisters were in her own words a drop in a vast ocean of need. But she never wavered, and her legacy lives on today. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith.